This is an SJC Radio production. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Pit Stop with Mr. Bird on SJC Radio. Welcome to episode six of Pit Stop. Joined by the usual crew of Joe and Ed. Good evening, gentlemen. Evening. Evening. Uh, well, what are we starting off today with, uh, so Joe? Today we're starting off with the quiz answers from last week's questions. Uh, actually, we're not, Joe, because I gave I gave the answer. I gave the answer last week. We're starting off with. Oh, a new quiz question. A new, a new quiz question, which we will answer at the end of the show. I think it's better that way. Otherwise, otherwise we tend to forget. Right now, this is a good question because um, those listeners at home. Uh, with access to the internet, which let's face it is everybody, they won't really be able to find the answer on the internet. It's that obscure. The question is this. What feat was almost achieved by Ivan Capelli, we've mentioned him before, in the 1990 French Grand Prix? We have mentioned Ivan Capelli. He was the one who I mistakenly said was the 85 Formula 3000 champion. He was actually the 86 Formula. Former 2000 champion. So, what feat was nearly accomplished by Ivan Capelli in the 1990 French Grand Prix? And there is no point in going on the internet to find this because you won't, you won't find the answer on the internet. It's that obscure. And also, sir, my question. Your question. What's your question, Joe? This week is last time we went to Portugal, yeah. where we are going this week. Yeah. There have been, it's 1994, 1995, and 1996, yeah. all won by the same team. Yeah. What were those teams? What was, what was the that team? team? Yeah. What was this team? Yeah. And uh, bonus points, if you can tell me who the drivers were. That's an excellent question. All will be revealed at the end of the show. Yes. We are going to go to race reports. There was no F1. But there was MotoGP. Sir's looking like he wants to speak about that. Well, as listeners are probably aware, this has been the most extraordinary MotoGP season ever. Now, you would have thought at some stage things would settle down, but they got even crazier at the weekend. We had, would you believe it, we had another new winner. Uh, This time it was the turn of Alex Rins. Alex Rins won on the Suzuki. Now, he won. I think he qualified 10th. So, after qualifying, nobody would really have expected him to win. Um, Kotawara, who was leading the championship, who was on pole, ended up 
nowhere. He fell backwards. He fell like a stone uh, through the field, possibly because he had a bad crash in, in qualifying and was still sort of feeling that. Um, it seems to be a championship that nobody wants to win. There is no consistency from anybody. And I tell you what, what was more remarkable than, than Rinzi's win was the chap who was in second place. Alex Marquez was in second place. Now, you might say, well, hold on, sir. He was in second place at Le Mans. Fine, but Le Mans was in the wet. There's a big difference between being fast in the wet and being fast in the dry. What every rider wants to be is fast in the dry. Um, Alex Marquez finishing second. Nobody, nobody would have predicted that. Uh, Joanne Mir was third. And that means with Potawaru not featuring... Uh, Ed, have you got the, the World Championship standings there? The motor... uh, yeah, so can, in... can you run us through the, the current positions? So, in first we have Joan Mir on 121 points. Yeah. In second with 115, Fabio Quattararo. Yeah. Third with 109, Maverick Vinales. And then in fourth, 106 points, Andrea Davizioso. Now, what's interesting there is Andrea Davizioso, he hasn't featured really in the last five or six races. But as I said last week, he always brings the bike home. Even if the bike is not competitive, he brings it home in the points. So he's still in the championship hunt, despite the fact, you know, at the moment, uh, he's not really competing for outright wins. On the subject of championship standings, can we have a look at Moto2? Now, Moto2, for those people who don't know, is the feeder series into MotoGP. So if you're in the Moto2 championship, Chances are you're going to be MotoGP the following year. Um, this is unbelievably close. So, Ed, can we have the riders and the points, please? So, first we had with 155 points, Enea Bastianini. Uh, second, 153 points, Sam Lowe's. Yeah, so that's two points, first and second. Yeah, and a third, 150 points. So, just five points separating first and uh, third. Who, who's in third? Uh, Luca Marini. Yeah. And then fourth we with 130 points, so a bit lower. Yeah. Uh, Marco Bezzecchi. Now, here's an interesting thing. So Bezzecchi is in fourth. How many points is he off the leader? Uh, 25. 25. He should be leading the championship. You know why? Because he was leading the race um, at Aragon with two laps to go. He fell off with two laps to go, fell off at turn two. He would be leading the championship. So there we go. That fall has not only cost him the championship lead, but it's put him down to fourth in the table. Moto2 is unbelievably close. Um, okay, so uh, moving on. Um, actually, no, hold on. In fact, I'll tell you what, tell you what we're going to talk about now is last week I, we, I talked about the 82 Grand Prix season and how Keke Rosberg uh, won the championship with one race win. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning that now in MotoGP is that we have a situation at the moment where the championship leader, Joanne Mir, hasn't won a race. He's never won a MotoGP. We could have a MotoGP champion uh, who hasn't won a race. I'm pretty sure that's never happened before. This is, and it continues to be, the most extraordinary MotoGP season ever. And there won't be another one like it. This will never happen again. So we've had 10 races, eight winners. I can guarantee you when Mark Marquez comes back next year, things will be very, very different. This has been the best MotoGP season of all time. There will never be a season to compare with this. 
Um, right, moving on. Uh, okay, uh, last weekend there was also the what we call the Petit Le Mans uh, race. That's a really big race for sports cars. Turned out to be possibly the most eventful Petit Le Mans race of all time. It's a 10-hour endurance race for Le Mans-type cars. The race was decided with 10 minutes to go. The last three hours, we ran in, in, in darkness. Uh, the race was decided in the last 10 minutes where there was a collision between uh, the cars in first and second. That was the uh, uh, the Cadillac and the Acura. Uh, and actually afterwards, there were some very heated scenes in the pit lane. So very controversial race with that collision between the leaders. The win was taken by the um, Konica Minolta uh, Cadillac. But um, yeah, a very interesting race. Um, and Ed, what about you? What about the the online world? I understand you, you've had a, a, an eventful race recently. Tell yeah, us about so that. Um, yesterday evening I had a race with one of my friends at uh, Montreal, very fast track, quite a track that I'm yeah, quite I good like at. Montreal as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was about two seconds ahead of him, and I I'm breaking into the hairpin before the massive back straight that goes into the World of Champions. And um, <laughs> so I go into the braking zone, I brake, I begin to turn in, and then up my inside comes my friend. Uh, who, who is your friend? Uh, my friend Nathan. Nathan, okay, yeah. And he just takes me out. Dear, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Dear, oh dear. I wasn't particularly happy okay. afterwards. And, you, he, and he knows it. Are you still friends with Nathan? Yes. Yeah. That's good. Perhaps not as well as they maybe were <laughs> previously. <laughs> yes. Well, similar, similar uh, uh, scene as at the Petit Le Mans race. Yeah. The leaders take each other out, heated scenes in the pit lane. Uh, I imagine, was there a heated exchange of words over the, the ether, as it were? I just left. I was oh, gone. Oh, yeah. really? Did, you didn't speak to him? <laughs> no. I first I spoke to him afterwards and he was like, oh, sorry. But, but you're your friends again now? Yes. Yeah, so that, that, that is nice. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, what's up next? Test the teacher. Let's see if we can keep on... It is perfect record. I, I, I think, think I'm 100%. Uh, yeah, I'm 100%. I am, yes. Okay. So the first question is about F1 in the 1980s. Speciality Good. subject. It is, it is, it is, yeah. So, first one. Which Italian drove for McLaren in 1981? The answer is a chap called Andrea De Cesaris. Joe, just confirm my right that on that. That is correct. Um, Andrea... It actually died out a few years ago, actually, um, sadly. Andrew de Cesaris, um, he never won a Grand Prix. Uh, he came close on a number of occasions. He took a number of pole positions. Um, he was quite well known in the in his early days uh, for crashing quite a lot. In fact, I think they used to call him Andrew de Crasheris. And in, in the 81 season, uh, so he's racing for McLaren at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Um, he spun off at the Woodcote chicane, and there was quite a big pile-up as a result of that. So uh, in those days, he did crash a lot. If you go onto YouTube, actually, and put in um, 1985 Austrian Grand Prix crash, you'll see De Cesaris rolling a Ligier. It's quite a spectacular crash. Okay, so that's... Uh, okay, Joe, uh, What's the next question? Correct. Yeah, I think as we all expected. Uh, second question. This is also in the 1980s Formula Good. One. Good. Which Chilean Formula One driver raced in 1981? 
that's a difficult question because it is it what's difficult about it is actually knowing drivers nationalities because a lot of south american drivers are obviously brazilian so i can say people like Sochico Serra, but he's brazilian roberto guerrero that he's colombian um i think it's a chap called elisio salazar that's correct yes um i can't really say a great deal about elisio salazar because he tended to race in sort of you know cars fairly uncompetitive cars um you say 81 uh, yes. Was it 81? I'm not sure what team is in 81. 82? Uh, okay, 82 is racing for ATS. He probably is racing for ATS in 81. Oh, here we go, here we go. Um, go on YouTube, go to the 82 German Grand Prix, uh, Nelson PK. type in 82 German Grand Prix, Nelson PK, and Salazar. And uh, in that race, Nelson PK was leading comfortably. He was about to lap, he was lapping Elysio Salazar, at um, the second chicane at the top of the circuit, and through that it's really single file through that chicane, and um, they crashed into each other. And you've probably seen it's a very famous incident where Piki gets out the car and starts kicking and punching Salazar. You, it's quite a famous one. So go on YouTube, have a look at that. That's probably what Salazar is best known for um, in his Formula One career: um, the punch up with Nelson Piquet. Uh, Joe, is, that, is there one more? One Third more one, yeah. Camp. This is on your second speciality, and it's on circuits. Okay. On which circuit is the Signe Corner? Signe, Signe, yeah, Signe Corner. That's uh, Paul Ricard. Yes. A very fast right-hander at the end of the Mistral Straight. Uh, I, spectate, I have spectated from Signe. Um, okay, this, so top tip, if you go to Paul Ricard, take some binoculars with you. Yeah. The runoff areas are enormous. Huge. You're quite a long way uh, from... The action. You are quite a long way from the action. I quite like... Well, it's not the best circuit in the world. But when I went there... Um, oh, another top tip. There's a very good burger bar on the last corner. Virage Dupont is the last corner. They've got a burger bar with a terrace. It's, it's very nice. Um, what I found when I went to Beauregard, they're probably the friendliest circuit I think I've ever been to. All the people, you know, there serving you food or, you know, in the shop selling, you know, clothing, what have you. Incredibly friendly. Not the best circuit in the world. In fact, Beauregard was designed as a test track, first and foremost. Um, and I really don't like the multicoloured runoffs. I really don't like that at all. And also, they're also far too big, hence you need binoculars. But um, the weather's always good. Um, so yeah, it's now on the um, F1 calendar, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, it I is. think it's been on there since eighteen, twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we go back quite a long time, go back to the eighties, um, the French Grand Prix used to alternate between Dijon and Paul Ricard, uh, and then in nineteen, well, in fact, we can talk about the nineteen ninety French Grand Prix later on. Um, so in nineteen eighty six, they sort of truncated the circuit because there was. Chap called Elio De Angelis was killed in um, testing at Paul Ricard at the first corner. So that was in that was in eighty that was in eighty six actually. And then for the French Grand Prix that year they left out the first corner. Um, so that basically before the first corner uh, the, the track then turned sharp left and then joined halfway down the Mistral Strait. So it was a very very short circuit and that disappeared from the calendar in after nineteen ninety. They went to Magny Cours. Uh, and then we haven't had a French Grand Prix for a few years, and when it came back, it did come back to Paul Ricard, but, but the full the full layout this time. Uh, very good. Um, 
Moving on, Ed, what have we got next? Uh, now we have Mrs. Fleming's A to Z. It's the letter E today. I'm going to go last. Joe. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, no, Ed is going to go first. I'm happy to go first. Uh, so my E is Enzo Ferrari. Ooh, good one. That's a good one, uh, Who obviously founded Ferrari, which yeah. is a, a legendary team. Yeah. Most wins of any F1 team, I think. Most is, it, is it still... Yeah, the Saviors must be catching, I imagine. I think it goes Ferrari, McLaren, maybe Lotus, Mercedes. I'm not sure. Really? Yeah, Lotus is up though, which is awesome. I'm surprised by that. I would have assumed that Mercedes would have been dominant in the last yeah. top two. Well, because they were around when it started in the 50s with Banjo. Well, that, they've been going on then, forever, essentially. But then they, they had quite a, a, long, a long spell out. Well, that would have been, I imagine, the result of, result of the, the, the Le Mans fatality. Because that had, must have Mercedes withdrew from motorsport, I think, after the yeah, and then they match. came back um, in 2010 with uh, yeah Rosberg yeah because as because as you say it was the brawl wasn't it because in 2009 yeah, it was the brawl <laughs> they did yeah um, which was bought by Mercedes just just thinking about the origins so Braun were Honda before that and I think before that they were BAR mm-hmm. and before that I think it was. I think it was Tyrrell. So, and, and that's very good, Ed, Enzo Ferrari. Joe, what about you? So, I I went down Ed's route of, of last last week, bringing up with a de, uh, de, debate point that you uh, have strong opinions oh, on. Oh, I know, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Okay, say it. Uh, a Formula E. E, oh, God. <laughs> now, so, why do you... Well, no, no, I, I don't... I'm not it. saying dislike it. No. But... Why don't you watch it? That's it? My brother watches it, and he's quite a big fan of it. Obviously, um, someone who was expected to come into F1 this year, yeah. part of the Mercedes programme, who won F2 the year previous, mm-hmm. Nick DeVries. Yes. No, he's a Mercedes young driver, and also there's a seat for it Williams after Cubit uh, uh, left. Yeah. So it was all expected yeah. for him, because he's a Mercedes young driver, to go to the Mercedes uh Sister team, yeah, and uh, then work his way up like yeah. George Russell has done. Yeah. But instead, a... he's gone to Formula E. A big statement, and yeah. it, it was quite a big move. It's, it was quite surprising at the time because he's obviously showed his intent, I suppose, and where he thinks most, most sports. Sport oh, going. I see. You don't think he's gone there in the hope that he will get into, if he becomes Formula E world champion that he might become. Another way of getting to Formula One, but you think he's gone there because well, I don't know. Yeah, I'd assume so because he had a if he if his aim goals to go to Formula One, there was a seat open at Williams, uh, who's a Mercedes young driver, and uh, maybe you're better off winning seen... Formula E races than being at back at the Formula One grid. Yeah, maybe that's his thinking. And no, I think I think in my opinion, I think lots of other F1 fans' opinion as well. Mm. The next Mercedes driver is going to be George Russell because he's been in Williams, yeah, shown skill. Yeah, I think he deserves it actually. No, I don't have. Okay, I don't. There's nothing wrong with Formula E. I mean, um, I'm not a big fan of some of the circuits because they all look, they're all very narrow. They seem to be almost designed to, to create accidents because some of the hairpins are unbelievably tight. Um, the cars are all identical. So I tell you what, I don't really see the point of a manufacturer going to Formula E when the cars look identical. You know, if you look, they're, they're, all, they're all identical. Um, it's only the sort of engines is probably the wrong word, isn't it? Motors. What, what do they call them? Yes. Um so from the outside, the the, the, the the Porsche looks the same as the Audi and what have you. There's no difference. Yeah. You can't look at the, the Porsche Formula E car and say, that's clearly a Porsche. 
Yeah. It is, you know, that, 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 that's one issue I have with that. I think the second issue is um, we've got quite a lot of single-seater series already. Third issue, the, they don't make much noise, the cars. Is that is that one of the problems you have with it? Yeah. It's a bit, yeah. I mean, I understand why the manufacturers like it, because they can show off their green credentials. Uh, Formula E does have a lot of... Um, Manufactured in it, like it Mercedes, Porsche. Well, Audi, because I think they. Jaguar. Well, because they, they want to sell their um their cars, don't cars, they? Yeah. Their motor cars. So it does make sense. It does, yeah. From a from a manufacturer point of view, going to Formula E because you know you win a Formula E, you might sell some more. You know, Porsche in a Formula E, you might sell some more electric cars. So I don't know. I don't dislike it. I, I personally don't follow it. I'm sure if I followed it, I'd probably become Enjoy interested it in it. But there's so much motorsport out there. Yes. That I, Lots different I, I don't have I don't have enough time for Formula E. Mm. Um, you know, if I didn't have BT Sport, then, then perhaps I perhaps I would watch it. But I'm rather sport for choice at the moment. Yeah. They show it on the iPlayer, UCI. Yeah. Yes. So if you uh, so you're saying how you dislike it so much. Well, I don't, I don't dislike Not it. Not so I, much. I, I don't really follow it. What would you so say? I did, as I said the other day, what I what annoys me is manufacturers leaving other series to go Formula E. So you got you got the case. So you got you got the the World Sports Car Championship. You know, I said the last few years we've lost Porsche, we've lost Audi to Formula E. You got the German DTM series. I don't really follow that, but they've lost their manufacturers to Formula E. So all the form, all the manufacturers are deserting all these you know really good series and, and going to Formula E. I'm not saying it's bad at all, but it's just it's harming it's harming the health of other. Series. That's the issue I have with it. Regardless of how amazing you think it is, yeah. what do you think they could do really fast? What do you think they could do just to make it better? Three right. Okay. Uh, uh, well, what one point? Don't make the circuit so unbelievably tight and twisty. That that that's one point. They're too narrow for a start, and, and it's almost as if they're they're, they're designed to encourage yeah, uh, incidents. And when you see overtakes, it's not like a massive spectacle because the the tracks are so tight. Yeah. Having to go so ridiculously slow yeah. to stay on the track and not cause a collision. We don't like seeing race cars going slow, so we don't like circuits. That's the whole point of what they're not meant to. They're meant Absolutely. to go fast. So I think yes. Ed's made a good point there. So when they're overtaking, they are you know, overtaking around a very very slow hairpin, going mm-hmm. incredibly slowly to try and avoid contact. So uh, that 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 would that would be it for me. There are, as I tell you, what I do quite like. I quite like their Mexico City layout yes. that they use. I quite like that. That that's quite a nice layout. But a lot of the street circuits, they kind of look the same. Yeah. There's no character. There. And I think uh, you're speaking about the Mexico City circuit. I think that's one of my favourite Formula E moments, um, oh, which was can't remember was a few years ago Ooh, at Mexico City, yeah. and I can't remember who it was. Uh, I think it might have been Antonio Felix da Costa. On the last lap, I think I saw coming this. just across the line, overtakes. Was it the closest? Was it, was it literally the overtook on the line? I th- uh, pretty much. I think I. They came around that last yeah. sweeping right hand. Well, and, well yes, because the great corner. Well, well, well. Yeah. We well, said it's a great corner. It was better. You know, if we go back thirty years, it's called the Peralta. Now, the Peralta used to be a banked high-speed right-hander. Again, go on YouTube. Wow. Put nineteen ninety Mexican Grand Prix. Similar to what we have at Zambor now. Yeah, yes, not as banked as Zambor's one actually. Yeah. Go on YouTube, like go Mansell Burger 1990 Mexican Grand Prix. You'll see Mansell overtake Burger around the outside of Peralta. It's quite impressive. Now, you mentioned Zambor. Uh, 
there, I, there was some racing from Zandvoort the other day. I was watching on YouTube. I'll tell you what, it's probably the, probably the first example I've seen of a track which has been improved as a result of being upgraded to Formula One. Normally, yeah. they destroyed circuits but, but when they made them, um, you know, when they, when they changed the design to meet Formula One safety standards. Zandvoort, it's unbelievable. They, they haven't changed the layout. The layout's the same, but they've the, the, there's a, a hairpin. It's called the Hugenholz hairpin. Very early on that, that's now banked. Yeah. And the final corner, I think it used to be called Boss Sweet, but it's probably got a different name now. I mean, that's as banked as uh, an American Oval circuit. Yeah. Nice. So we've suddenly gone off piece, haven't we? <laughs> Very yeah. much all, so. All, we stay off track. <laughs> We haven't got to your E yet, sir. So what is that? You're dying to tell us. Prepare to be shocked. Prepare okay. to be shocked because my E is going to be Moto E. I really like Moto E. <laughs> Ed and I were expecting this. You, you were, weren't. Were. Were. I love Moto E. The, okay, the bikes, they're really heavy. The race is about six laps long. And they're always full of incidents. Now they, they don't race on street circuits. They obviously they, they race on the, the same tracks as the because they support the MotoGP races. I, I really like Moto E. Um, yeah, they're always eventful. Actually, funny when the when the riders fall off, they can't physically put the bikes up. They, they are they are that heavy. One person cannot lift the bike back up. Um, in fact, I was watching the, the Le Mans race the other day, and they had to red flag the race because. Um, Somebody crashed. They couldn't lift the bike up because because they're like uh, electric. They have like a warning light. This light is on the thing. If if you touch the bike, you probably get an electric shock. But during this crash, the, this light was was broken. So they had to stop the race because it wasn't safe for them to pick the bike up. They wouldn't know if it was yeah if it was yeah. safe or not. Um, but I love Formula E. It's races are very short, very eventful. Short but fun. Yeah, I, I love yeah. Moto, Moto E. Motor E. So I'm not a fan of <laughs> not Formula E, <laughs> but we do like Motor E. And they don't support every Motor GP, but I'd love to go to Motor GP where they got, they got Motor or well, well, where they got Motor E on, on, on the program. Because um, go to Motor GP, it's Motor GP, it's Motor Two, it's Motor Three. Uh, but if you had Motor E as well, what, what a what a great bill that would be. Would be good. Right. Okay. So moving on. What's next? Uh, we've got coming up this weekend and predictions. Uh, it's it's quite a busy weekend uh, again. Um, I understand, Ed. There's a is there, is there a Formula One race this weekend? Yeah, there is. Um, we're at Portsmouth this weekend in Portugal. That would be interesting. Yeah, which is will be the first race at Portsmouth in Portugal since 1996. Well, it'll be the first ever first ever Grand Prix there. There's been no F1 have never raced there before. F1 have never raced to Portimao oh, before. Oh, yeah, they've raced in Portugal, but not. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the, yeah it would have been, there would have been Estoril before. Yes. Um, so, it's a, it's a great circuit, Portimao. It's got an awful, well, you'll see, it's got an awful lot of gradient, an mm. awful lot of gradient. It's a bit like a sort of mini spa, really. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they race there. I mean, it has got very long straight, so they'll be able to use the old DRS to overtake, I imagine, <laughs> quite comfortably. My predictions, well, you know what my prediction is. I go for the standard Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts about uh, the Grand Prix? I'm you, going... uh, bearing in mind, you got it. 
100% correct last time. Oh, don't bring that up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to get it this week. I hope I will, but uh, okay. I'm going to say the Red Bull fan with inside me. I'm going to say Verstappen. It could happen. Actually. Bottas. It could. Hamilton and Albon P4. It could happen because only because the main sort of twisty nature of the circuit, it might, it might, it might favour the Red Bulls. Red Bulls yeah, and their downfalls. Yes. It could well actually. Yeah. So you're going, you're going for Stappen. Sorry, what's Stappen, Bottas, Hamilton, and then Albon P4. You're doing all four. Ed, what about you? Um, I think it's got to be those three in that order, in, yeah. in the order. So the three that I said, but shuffle yeah. around slightly. Uh, we'll say Bottas win, Verstappen second, Hamilton third. Yeah, okay. Well, we shall see. We shall. We shall see. Uh, it's also MotoGP again we, uh, this weekend. Uh, it's the same venue, so we're, we're back at um, Aragon. Now, you might have thought, well, hold on. They raced at Aragon last weekend, so surely it should be easy, easy to predict. It doesn't tend to work that way. Um, as I said last week, predicting MotoGP has become almost impossible. You might as well um, put all their names on a dartboard and, and throw a dart at it, and whoever it lands on, say that say they're going to That's win. Exciting. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't make any predictions. It, it, it is impossible. I tell you what, um, I'm going to go for Alex Marquez. He seems to be the man in form. Um, I mean, his bike, I mean, the, the way it turned, the, the last corner at Aragon. Uh, the Yamaha is always renowned as being the best handling bike, the best turning bike. But the Suzuki's turned better than the Yamaha's, and actually Marquez on that Honda turned even better. So I'm going to go with... I, I can't believe that I'm predicting Alex Marquez for a win, because at the start of the season, he was qualifying at the back of the grid. You know, but, but Alex Marquez... He's sort of worked it. He's got better and better. He's had some top 10 finishes. You know, he could have won the race quite easily last weekend. I mean, it was very, very close at the flag. So I'm going to say Alex Marquez. But because I made that prediction, it probably won't be. It could be anybody. No, nobody knows. Um, chances are we might have another new winner. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, what else have we got this weekend? Uh, well, obviously, as is MotoGP, obviously got Moto2 as well, and Moto3, Moto2 will be interesting. Um, see if Bezeki can, Bezeki will be very keen to, to win to get himself back in that championship hunt. So, also, there's a quite a big sports car race. It's not not for Le Mans cars, but for GT3 type cars. It's a Spa 24 hour race, normally held in August. Um, obviously, pushed back because of um, you know the, the COVID business. I've actually been to that event. I went there twice. I think I went about, did I go in 20, 2009, 2010? <clears throat> really good events, you know. Um, likely to be wet. If you go to spa, top two, if you go to spa for a race, pack your waterproof. Because <laughs> when I went to that event in August, um, parts of it were quite sort of sunny and warm. Uh, and then at other times, we had incredibly heavy showers. I can actually remember it. Uh, Rainy extremely heavily whilst I was putting my tent up. So that wasn't great. So, Unis will get all wet then, won't they? Well, we got soaking wet. Then we had to go to um, one of the pubs in, in, in the, the village of Spa just, just to dry out. Um, so you go to Spa, always pack a waterproof. Before I forget, 
I have to answer the question I asked earlier. So, what feat was almost accomplished by Yves and Capelli in the 1990 French Grand Prix? So that's the last Grand Prix um, at Paul Ricard before it came back a few years ago. Any ideas? And I'll give you a clue here. It, it's linked to the previous race. Something about even Capelli's performance in the previous race. Did he come P20 and then went on to win the race? You actually, you, you're you're very close, Joe. Or is it the other way around? No, you no, you're 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 very close. I will tell you in the previous race, which funny enough was at Mexico. Um, even Capelli was in what we call a Leighton House, and both Leighton houses. Uh, that's uh, Capelli and Guggenheim failed to qualify for the Mexican Grand Prix. Failed to qualify. In the French Grand Prix, they were running one and two. And in fact, Capelli was only overtaken by Alan Prost with a few laps to go. There was some mechanical issue towards the end of the race. I can't remember what it was. But he very nearly, you know, by the way, he never won a Grand Prix. He very nearly won a race after having failed to qualify for the previous race. Um, that's never happened before. And actually, that's probably that's probably a record in itself. The fact that he came second after failing to qualify. And to answer my question from earlier this episode, uh, in, last time we went to Portugal, yes. uh, 1996, yes. we had three successive winners. And the answer is Williams, 1994, 1995 and 1996. Okay, well, I think 96, hold on. 96. It, was, it might have been. I know it was 96. Was it Villeneuve or Villeneuve. Hill? Yeah, Villeneuve's 96. 95, any 90, guesses? 95. Who's 95? Was it Hill or Coulthard? David Coulthard. DFC. Right. Coulthard. And then 94, 94. was Hill. It must be Hill, I imagine. Yes. Right. Correct. Right. That just about wraps it up for this week. I'm afraid to, I got, I'm afraid to say there won't be a show next Friday uh, because we're on half term. Uh, but we will reconvene uh, the following Friday. So, and as usual, yes, um, you can email us your answers or anything else. Or want to contact us, any of us, uh, the email is pitstop at stjohnscollege.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you for that, Joe. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully we will um, meet up again in two weeks' time. So it's good evening for me. Good evening. Good evening from Joe and good evening from Ed. This was an SJC Radio production. The writers and presenters were Mr. Bird, Joe and Ed. And this week's episode was also produced and edited by Mr. Bird. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pit Stop with Mr. Bird. There's a few new things I want to make you aware of. We've got a new website, which you can find by going online to shows.acast.com forward slash pitstop, where you can also find links to our Twitter and uh, on the about page, more information about the hosts as well. We're also on lots more platforms in addition to where you're listening to us now. So we're now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music and lots more, as well as TuneIn like we've been on since we started. So head over to those platforms to subscribe on the most convenient one for you and find all our back catalogue of episodes to listen to again as well.